Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. Washed in the blood of Jesus, I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. This world of sin, washed in the blood of Jesus, I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. Like a bird out of prison that's taken its flight. Like a blind man that God gave back his sign. Like a poor wretched beggar that found fortune and fame. I'm so glad that I found out he could bring me out through his holy name. Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. Washed in the blood of Jesus, I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. Amen. I'm glad he showed me the way. Amen. Wow. Amen. Let's take our Bibles today. Let's go ahead and turn over to the book of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Had a big week at camp this week again. And uh, boy, it, it, uh, it, we, we really did. Uh, they talked a lot about the rain and the weather, but uh, there at camp. And we did. We had rain and we had warm weather and some things like that. But Really, it didn't hinder, it didn't really hamper, it didn't keep uh, the young people from having a great time. Things went really well. And then um, the, on Thursday, however, I'll tell you this, uh, you know, I heard it described about yesterday that it, when you walked outside, it took your breath away. I, I'm not trying to uh, sensationalize this at all, but honestly, that was nothing compared to Thursday when we were at camp. It was, I, I can't remember when I felt heat the way I felt it on Thursday. I, I don't know what it was, but at camp, it was just like... I walked outside and every time went, what in the world is going on? And I honestly remember thinking, I am so glad I'm not going to hell. I mean, I'm not joking. And I, I'm not kidding. I, I'm not trying to be funny in the least bit. I thought, man, if this, I, I, this is not even remotely even, it, and I just thought, wow, wow. And I'm telling you folks, we are so blessed. <laughs> 
I mean, not only do we have air now, but we have heaven later. That's, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, really, I, I can't even fathom. Uh, boy, it's just beyond uh, comprehension to think about a place called hell. But anyway, uh, Exodus chapter 3, and that's not what we're, we're preaching on today either, by the way. <laughs> but let me tell you, it, it needs to be something that is spoken of more often, I think. Uh, it's not something we talk much about today because we, it's uncomfortable. We don't like anything that's uncomfortable, do we? We don't like that. But unfortunately, it's in the Bible. Uh, but anyway, Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, uh, probably a familiar passage uh, in many cases, but then again, maybe not. Maybe you've not ever read this before in your life. But I pray before we leave today, you'll say, well, I understand what's going on here. This is really a neat passage, and it is. It's a wonderful passage. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. He said, Draw nigh, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now, Moses is arguably the most influential, important, and greatest Old Testament figure there is. I mean, Moses led the people of God out of Egypt. Moses led the people of God through the wilderness. Moses led millions of people. One of the greatest leaders of all time, this Moses. And Moses now, before he takes on this daunting task of directing and leading the people of God, is approached by God in a burning bush. Amazing. Amazing. I want to take a few moments and I want to look at the passage and then I want to make one simple application today. That's all. We probably won't be real long. But I want to look at it and break it down as we consider Moses and as we look at our own lives in respect to God. I mean, there is a God in heaven today. There is a God that created all things. There is a God, not many gods, a God, one God that did all of that. And that is the God that Moses served. That is the God that Moses was interacting with and conversing with. That's the God that ultimately directed Moses and led Moses and guided Moses to his greatness. And that's the same God that you and I need to recognize today. And let's consider maybe that just a little bit as we look at this passage and as we consider it uh, this morning. Let's um, look at verse 1, first of all. Notice this Moses. It says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. He came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. You know, Moses was a busy man then. Moses was keeping the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Now, I've never been, uh, 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 you know, taking care of sheep. I've never had that opportunity. I don't know that it, I would call it a privilege. I'm not sure what I would call it, but I would call it a lot of work. 
And what I do know is that obviously he was an extremely busy man. He had obligations and responsibilities. He had work to do. He was busy. He kept the flock. I'm glad that Moses was willing to lead the sheep before he led men. I'm glad that he was willing to do what many would consider a simple-minded task. Oh, a lot of work, yes, but a simple-minded task, taking care of some sheep. It can't be that difficult, right? Well, I'm sure that there were some obstacles. I'm sure there were difficulties. I'm sure there were times when it was not in the least bit simple. But the truth is is that most of us would say no college education needed there, no real in-depth education necessary there. I mean, he's... But wait a second. One thing I'll say about him, he was willing to work hard, and he took care of the sheep. It's a sad situation in our lives today and in America and in our churches, it seems, where everybody wants to be in an influential position. Everybody wants to be the lead. Everybody wants to be the head person. Everybody wants to be in charge. Everybody wants to have a visible position. Oh, nobody can just lead sheep. We want to lead men. But somebody's got to learn to lead some sheep before they ever learn to lead men. I'm glad that Moses was busy, yes, but I'm glad that he was willing to be busy just simply leading some sheep, working hard, sweating, no air conditioning on the mount. It was a lot of work, but he was willing to lead the sheep before he ever led men. Number two, verse two, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. It's great that Moses was on watch. He was looking. He was observant. He was walking circumspectly like Ephesians tells us we ought to be. His eyes were open to the things of God. And when he saw that bush burning, he thought, what in the world is that? He could have easily walked by it probably. He might have been able to dismiss it. He may have been able to say, it's, I, I don't know, I've got too many things to do. I'm kind of busy. But no, he was very watchful. He was looking. The Bible says he saw. He looked. And as a result, he did. He saw. You know, Balaam, Balaam never saw the angel of the Lord. He said, well, it would be easy to see God. If he revealed himself to us, if, if he made himself known, we'd easily see him. I mean, this burning bush was God, so surely Moses had to be able to see him. Well, yeah, but there are other people in the past that did not see spiritual things, and Balaam's one of them. He was the servant of Elisha, remember? And as a matter of fact, the king of Assyria was not happy with the fact that Elijah was exposing his military plans to Israel. And as a result, he sent some troops down to get Elijah, to bring him to him so that he could question him, so that he could interrogate him, so that he could put fear in him. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, verse 17, turn there if you would, please. 2 Kings we're going to see that Elisha, the man of God, being surrounded by the enemy, would have to ultimately ask God to open the eyes of his servant so that he could see the enemy, that he could see the, should I say, the armies of God himself. Notice what happens here. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early, 2 Kings 6, and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city with both 
with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? What in the world are we going to do? Look at all of the enemy around us, surrounding us. And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Gehazi's like, what? Wait a second, are you, do you see what I see? Elisha, have you really taken a good look at the hillside? Don't you see the enemy? And let's be honest, Elisha couldn't deny there was plenty of enemy there. But what he says is, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. He saw with spiritual eyes. Moses, although he was working with sheep, although he was on the backside of the desert, although he was bound by sweat, pouring down his eyes, I'm sure, and busy about the work of his father-in-law, the fact is, is that he was very aware of his spiritual needs and the, the, the spiritual reality of God and the spiritual reality of a warfare taking place. And he saw with spiritual eyes. How many times do we go through life and we never see the spiritual side of things? We never recognize God in the midst of a hurt, heartache, trouble, trial. We never see God because our eyes are fixed on this earth and the things of this earth. I think of Balaam. You know, Balaam, he never saw the angel of the Lord. And I think I mentioned that and I skipped to the next one. But Balak, the king of the Moabites, was concerned that Israelites were growing way too strong. So he decides to ask Balaam to curse them. That's the prophet. Curse Israel. But God would not permit Balaam to curse Israel because God had chosen to bless them. But see, we know that Balaam was blinded with ambition. And so as the king kept sending people to him and promising him more and more leadership and more and more possessions and more and more authority and and more and more influence. Finally, Balaam gives in. Finally, Balaam goes with these men to meet with that king. And on the journey, we see that it wouldn't be till a donkey speaks audibly that Balaam finally has his eyes opened. The Bible says in Numbers twenty-two thirty-one, Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. Here the angel of the Lord is literally standing with a sword, and if that donkey wouldn't have stopped, if that donkey wouldn't have turned aside, then it's a good possibility from what we can tell based on past experience in the Word of God, Balaam would have died there. And that donkey says, You see, see that? And man, I mean to tell you, Balaam couldn't see a thing. All he could see was dollar signs. All he could see was prestige. And all he could see was prominence. And all he could see was being lavished in the luxuries of the enemy. But the donkey saw the Lord. You say, well, that's the angel of the Lord. Yeah, well, that's Christ incarnate. Not incarnate, but Christ in a, um, I, my mind's going blank what the word is. There, thank you. Thank you. And so the fact is, is that we see the Lord there. 
Balaam couldn't see him. The donkey could. So we got a problem, don't we? So Balaam, he, he never saw. Gehazi, he could never see spiritual things. Aren't you glad Moses did? The question is, will we? Are our eyes open? Are we aware of spiritual things? Do we see God in the midst of our world in which we live? Man, we live in a dark day. He was busy. He was on watch and looking. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. He turned aside. He turned aside. You know, it's important to realize again that this was a man who had responsibilities. This was a man who was busy about the work of his father-in-law. He was taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. He probably got up at the, uh, pretty much the same time every day. He probably had a pretty decent schedule. He probably moved the sheep at certain times, took them to certain places. He probably was very careful with where he went, how he went. Man, he was very, I bet you, disciplined in his approach. But he left the regularly scheduled program and sought God. He turned aside. He was willing to be interrupted. We're going to have, and I'm just being, I'm, I'm just stating this like, so it's not really true, okay? It's an example. We're going to have special meetings in about three weeks. We're going to have a, Evangelist in. We're going to trust God to reach us and to speak to us and to do a work in our lives. Means we're going to have extra services. We're going to have the evangelist in. I wonder how many will be interrupted to hear and see God. I wonder how many you say, well, you know, you just don't understand. I'm just too busy. I've got too many responsibilities. I've got a schedule in place. I just, I've got response. I, I, I don't have time for things like that. Moses allowed his schedule to be interrupted to see God. You say, well, it's different now. Believe what you want. Believe what you choose. But I think it sounds pretty similar. He turned aside. He was willing to be interrupted. Have you been interrupted before? Have you ever allowed, just let's just use some practical ones. Have you ever allowed the Lord to interrupt your sleep? I'm not talking about you just can't sleep. I'm not opposed to that. I don't have a problem. You wake up and say, I just can't sleep, so I might as well pray. No, I'm talking about you wake up and you are tired as tired as tired. And something inside, the Holy Spirit says, you need to pray. You think, yeah, but I got to get up in about two and a half hours. And I got a long day ahead of me. And I'm tired. And I know I can sleep if I lay back down. Will you allow your schedule to be interrupted? I'm just curious. That's not something I want you to raise your hand or anything, but in your mind's eye, I want you to say to yourself, am I willing to be interrupted? Look at verse 4. This Moses again. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, notice it's when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. 
God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. It's interesting, isn't it? It's not till he turned aside to see that God spoke. Sometimes we neglect the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We don't allow, first of all, we don't allow ourselves to be interrupted. And then as a result of that, God doesn't speak. See, you, you know, we have to avail ourselves to God. We've got to make ourselves available to Him. Moses made himself available to God. If we'll allow our schedule to be interrupted, God will use us in an even more mighty way than He's ever used us. Look at verse 5 about this Moses. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standeth is... What is that place? Holy ground. What is that place? It's holy ground. Why is it holy? Is it holy because that dirt was so different and unusual than all the other dirt around? Is that that why it was holy? Was it holy because this, this bush just happens to be burning? Anytime you see a burning bush, it's holy ground. Uh, so, you know, why is it holy then? Why would it be holy ground? Could it be, and we know it is, because God himself is there. Yeah. Let me ask you, do you believe God's here today? Amen. So what does that make this? So we ought to probably be kind of careful how we talk about people here. We ought to be kind of careful how we think about people here. We ought to be kind of concerned about how we act here, how we dress here, how we go about our business here. This is holy ground. This isn't just your bathroom. This isn't your kitchen. This isn't your living room. This, this isn't your rec room. This isn't your workplace. This is holy ground. And someone says, well, you know, God's wherever I am. Oh, wow, did you just hit on something important? Man, did you just hit? You nailed it, didn't you? You were thinking ahead of me, weren't you? Our bodies are what? That, what's that make us then? What's that make every thought you have? You're thinking in the midst of who? God then. That means that you ought to be real careful how you think anywhere, anytime. And how you act and how you talk and what we do. We ought to be concerned about that. Why? Because He lives in us. That's holy ground. Moses Moses took off his shoes. Moses recognized this is God. And Moses said, it's time to get holy. Do you know, no matter what our service, we are called to holiness. You say, well, I just, I just clean the church. You're called to holiness. Well, I just work in the nursery, called to holiness. That's not a clean place. So you definitely need to understand you're still called to holiness. 
I, I just I teach Sunday school, or I help one of us, or I do this, or I do that. I go out so yeah, holiness. We're called to holiness. No matter what you are, you are called to holiness, and so am I. In First Peter, turn there if you would, please. First Peter one fifteen. Holiness is a forgotten topic and doctrine. That was a good one. All right, First Peter chapter one verse fifteen. My dad was sharing a um, a phone ringer on his phone this morning. It it's like a it sounded like a, a train whistle, and he's kind of hard of hearing, but. The, the frequency of that train whistle is something that he can recognize. He hears it, and he was showing it to me, and it gets louder and louder and louder as it goes. Uh, they got some neat ringers these days, don't they? Some interesting stuff. Um, my, my brother has one that says, uh, I think it says mama on it. And it's, you know, mama, 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 mama. It starts screaming, going crazy. I mean, just... <laughs> okay, all right, you know. It's funny, but anyway. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15. Notice this aspect of holiness. But as he which hath called you is holy, would anybody argue that the Lord Jesus Christ or God is not holy? No, we would all say he's holy. He's holy. Well, he hath called you, and he's holy. So, he says, be ye holy in all manner of conversation. We understand biblically and scripturally that the word conversation has changed through the years somewhat. And that word conversation isn't just referring to our lips and our, our, our words. It's referring to our lifestyle. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. It's not just that your heart has to be right with God. You have to live and act right. Because if your heart is right, you'll live and act right. I'm not worried about my life. God sees me. Nobody should judge me. Well, we don't have to judge you. God will judge you. But let me tell you this. Holiness is not just interior. It's not just internal. Holiness is external. Holiness is how we live our life. Holiness is how we separate ourselves from the world. Holiness is how we separate ourselves unto God. I mean, it's the whole. You can't just say it's one thing. No, it's our lifestyle. It's everything that we do, everything that we say. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Are there any things in the world that are unclean? (laughs) That's a stupid question, right? Hold on a second, though. Have you ever really just stopped for a minute and thought, do I ever touch anything unclean? You know, everybody kind of laughs at me, but, when, you know, when we'd go to, um, I don't like to go to a Cleveland Indians game. Somebody says, well, why don't you like it? Because I always get seated in the middle. And you know what they want to do? They always want to, somebody says, you know, the beer guy comes around. Beer! Get your beer! Cold beer! Cold beer! And some guy goes, and he just happens to be on that end, and the guy's over here, and you know what he wants to do? Hand that beer over and make everybody pass it down to him. 
I don't want to touch it. I don't want to touch it. Touch not the unclean thing. Somebody says, you're nuts. Well, I, I guess I just believe the Bible. Now, now hold on. I, it's tough because you're going, okay, I bet. Let's see if you're consistent. You're right. It's hard to be consistent with that. Because when we really start thinking about things that are unclean that we touch, and not even just touch with our hands, but allow ourselves to hold in our mind, whether they're attitudes or actions or seeing things and embracing them, touching them in a sense with our mind's eye, embracing them with our mind's eye. Well, I'll tell you what, it gets serious now. Touch not that unclean thing, he says. Come out from among them. Be ye separate. For holiness is something that God's seriously interested in. It's not something that our world's interested in. And it's unfortunately not probably very something that the church is very interested in anymore. What we're interested in today is comfort and convenience and feeling good about ourselves and, you know, encouraging the champion within. Always looking to the good in everybody. Encouraging and uplifting and exhorting. Those are all parts. And I understand it's necessary and needful. But let me tell you something. You got to deal with sin before you can get off first base in the Christian life. Well, see, we're trying to hit a home run before we ever get to first base. I mean, we've got to start realizing that God expects us to be holy. I mean, we're, if we're going to be in His presence, then guess what? We've got to take off the shoes. We can't bring the world in with us. We can't bring the dirt and the dust and the grime of this life into the presence of God. Don't no, take off your shoes. Why? What did He tell Peter? He said, listen, you, you need to have your feet cleaned. And Peter said, no, if it's missing my feet, no, clean my whole body, Lord. He said, no, 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 you don't need that. But your feet do need to be clean because they get dirty as you walk through this life. Guess what? We get dirty as we walk through this life, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we want to or not. The fact is, is that we live in a world that is very wicked and sinful, and we do pick up some sin along the way, and we pick up some dirt and grime along the way. And the Lord says, if you're going to meet with me, if you're going to get in my presence, take off those shoes. Because you can't get in my presence unless you're holy, because you're on holy ground, my friend. This is holy ground. Holiness is big time to God. Years ago, there was a flock of wild ducks. I know this firsthand. Anyway, there was a duck. I don't know anything. I just read it, okay? But there was a flock of wild ducks. And they were flying in their V formation. And boy, I mean to tell you, as you looked up into the sky, they looked gorgeous. They looked wonderful. It was awesome. Now, again, just a duck and a duck by itself. I don't know if it's that awesome. But, you know, well, forgive me. I mean, every animal is so important, and they're just as equal as human beings. And Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend anybody. But anyway, these ducks were flying in a V formation. And then you'd look up and you'd go, wow, look at that. Isn't that something? It's, it was admired. They were admired by everybody. One day, Wally the duck, he being in that formation, spotted something on the ground that kind of caught his eye. You know what Wally saw? He saw a barnyard and he saw a flock of these tame ducks who lived on that farm. And he noticed that they were 
waddling around, you know, just kind of waddling around the ground. They were quacking merrily. Quack, 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 quack. They were just having a good old time. And they were having a good time because the, the farmer had come out and he had thrown some food out. I mean, he, he just tossed it out there for them. And, and that corn was there and it was glistening in the sun. And Wally was flying over and he looked down and couldn't just, couldn't, re, he couldn't handle it. He thought, man, it would be wonderful just to kind of walk around a little bit, waddle around a little bit and eat some corn. It just looked so tempting and so inviting. So he took a direct left turn, flew down and landed there in the, the barnyard. He began to eat some of that corn. And that corn was good, too. He enjoyed it. Didn't have to work too hard for it. It was right there at his fingertips, so to speak. He didn't really have fingertips. But anyway, he was enjoying that. Had a good time. But as he was eating the corn, of course, you know, all of his buddies kept flying south. So he thought, well, no big deal. I'll just hang around for a while until a few months, until they come flying back north. And when they come flying back north, I'll join them again and get back with it. Because, you know, things had got kind of boring there, just waddling around and always eating. It just didn't offer him the thrill that it did at one time. And so here they came back. Just a short time later, he had been waiting for them. They started to come back. And so Wally decided, I'm going to join my friends again. And so he started uh, in the barnyard. He kind of started flapping his wings, you know, and he started getting it going. And he was going faster and faster and faster and faster. All of a sudden, Wally got off the ground, and man, he was starting to go, and bam! I mean, he smacked smack dab right into a barn, right into the side of the barn. He just hit it and kind of rolled down off that wall, crashing down into the barnyard. Wally thought, wow, man, I guess I've been eating too much corn. I got kind of comfortable here. So he thought, you know what? It won't be but a few more months. They'll be coming back, and so... I'm going to get on a workout plan and get in shape, you know. But let's face it, you know, Wally, he, uh, he kept eating the corn. Wasn't exercising the wings, and all he had to do was waddle around. It was just so easy. And when that flock flew overhead again, he tried to lift himself off the barnyard, but he just didn't have the strength. Every winter, every spring, he saw his wild duck friends flying overhead. They'd call out to him, Hey, Wally! Join us, buddy! But every attempt to leave was in vain because he just couldn't get out of the barnyard now. Eventually, Wally just kind of paid no attention anymore to them, who those flying over top. He didn't care anymore about the V shape. He didn't care anymore about his buddies, the ducks. He was kind of locked into life now. He just simply became a barnyard duck. Do you realize that the battle for purity and holiness in this generation is a constant one, to say the least? At times we can be tempted to lower the banner, compromise our standards, join the world that appears to be so well, so fine, so easy, so good. I mean, it looks good. The ease and the comfort that the world appears to offer can be pretty appealing to you and I who are warring 
in this flesh who are fighting the good fight, who are trying to overcome and to be victorious in this Christian life, who are trying to fulfill the will and the plan of God for our life. And it becomes difficult and, and, and it becomes uh, hard to keep flying in formation, to stick with it. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can look down on the world and say, wow, that really looks appealing. Wouldn't it be nice just to be able to have my fill? Wouldn't it be nice just to be able to continue to have my needs met and be satisfied and not have to put up with all of this work, this struggle? It looks pretty appealing down there. And if we're not careful, although we are free indeed, we can take a sharp left and land in the barnyard. And sadly enough, we stick around too long in the barnyard. We can be stuck for a lifetime. God wants us to be holy for a reason. It's in your interest and my interest. You and I are like those wild ge- ducks in the sky. We're, we're flying in formation. We've, we've got purpose and we're going in a certain direction and we're pleasing the master. But listen, it's so easy to get our eyes off of that and on the world just like Wally did. Remain pure and holy. Stay clean. Don't allow yourself to consider falling out of formation and joining the barnyard ducks. Don't do it. Years ago, in 1818, Philip Semmelweis was born into a world of dying women. The finest hospitals lost one out of six young mothers to the scourge of childbed fever. One in every six died. A doctor's daily routine began by in, in the dissecting room. <laughs> they would perform autopsies, autopsies, and so they would use scalpels and they would dissect bodies and they would open up cadavers and they did all of those things. And from there, they'd make their way to the hospital to examine expectant mothers without ever pausing to wash their hands. This was a common practice. Dr. Simmelweis was the first man in history to associate such examinations with the resultant infection and death, with with what was taking place. He was the first one to comprehend and to understand or to put together the idea that these men, we doctors, are leaving these cadavers, we're not washing our hands, and then we're examining these women with babies or having children, and it seems they're getting these infections and these illnesses, and it's costing lives. He put it together. His own practice was to wash with what he called a, a, what was a chlorine solution, basically. So he would wash with a chlorine solution. And after 11 years and the delivery of 8,537 babies, he lost only 184 mothers, about 1 in 50. Remember, the rate is 1 in 6. His was 1 in 50. He spent the rest of his life lecturing and debating with his colleagues. Once he argued, quote, purpural fever is caused by decomposed material conveyed to a wound. I have shown how it can be prevented. I have proved all that I have said. But while we talk, 
talk, talk, gentlemen. Women are dying. I'm not asking anything, any, any world, uh, anything world-shaking. I'm asking you only to wash. For God's sake, wash your hands, he said. But virtually no one believed him. Doctors, midwives had been delivering babies for thousands of years without washing. No outspoken Hungarian was going to change them now. Simmelweis died insane at the age of 47. Lost his mind. His wash basins were discarded. His colleagues laughed right in his face. And the death rattle of a thousand women were left behind. The Lord Jesus Christ... And God himself says to us today, wash your hands. Wash your feet. Be clean. You have lost loved ones and friends? Do you realize that their only hope is you being clean? You say, well, I'm just trusting that somebody will come along and lead them to Christ. Well, why don't you Wash your hands. Why don't you clean up your life? Why don't you allow God to make you the vessel you ought to be so that you can be the tool God uses? Do you realize people are dying and going to hell while the church revels in sin? Do you realize our families are falling apart? Marriages are being broken up. Lives are being wrecked and ruined because of sin. Do we, do we really believe that today? I don't think we do. I think we talk about it. I think we are semi-consciously aware of it. Folks, listen, this is real. Semmelweis would have said this, dirty hands kill. And may I say today, dirty, dirty hands, dirty feet, dirty conversation in the life of believers kills. It just does. I, I don't need to scream and yell and jump up and down up here today. But what I do know we need to do is we need to be very honest with ourselves about what we are touching, what we are embracing today, what we are permitting in our eye gate, our ear gate, what we're allowing into our minds and into our bodies. We need to be serious about that. Because not only do the souls of men and women depend on that, but the future of our marriages and the future of our homes and our children and our families depend on it. The future of our relatives and our extended family, the future of our communities and our our country ultimately depends on whether or not we are clean. There is not one thing that is positive about the direction our culture and society is going when it comes to this issue. The morality is, the immorality is running rampant today. We are, 
Woe to them that call good evil and evil good. And yet it seems to me more than ever, not only is it considered good, but don't you dare say it's bad either. There's something wrong with that. And if anybody should stand and say something's wrong, it should be the believer. I'm going to make a statement, and we're going to close this, but I want you to think about this for a while. What you accept is what you become. What you accept is what you will ultimately become. Are you accepting the lies that we're being told about immorality in our country? That it's okay for this lifestyle and it's okay to live like that and it's okay to do this and it's okay to do that. It's okay to think this way and go this way and hear this and hear that. It's okay. That's amazing. I read an article the other day on pornography. They got this whole group coming out now saying, we grew up in this culture of pornography and we were involved and engaged in it so greatly that now it's affecting our marriages and our lives. You think? You, you think? Viagra's being sold off the shelf left and right. Everybody's looking for some secret magical formula to fix their world. And we're feeding ourselves with that trash and we're wondering why God's not blessing our lives? I'm sorry. I, I, I just don't, I don't get it sometimes. And, and honestly, I, I do stupid things too, so I guess I should be, you know, I'm just as guilty in one sense, maybe not in that area, but in some other areas. Maybe I'm guilty of that. I understand that, but let's slow down a little bit. Let's really ask ourselves, when's the last time you really took the shoes off? God on holy ground instead of just saying I'm right with God because I go to church I'm right with God because I work on the bus route I'm right with God because I teach Sunday school I'm right with God because I, 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 I'm an usher I'm right with God because I work in the church I'm right with God because I go soul winning when's the last time you honestly evaluated your life and what you touch and what you allow in and said okay it's time for me to pull the shoes off to clean up and get holy because I want to be in God's presence now. That's what we need today. That'll change our life and that'll change our world even. It'll change our churches. God help us to realize that dirty hands do kill. And that like Moses, <laughs> we got to get the shoes off and get serious about holiness if we want God to truly bless us, our families, our marriages, and our lives. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace in our life. We know, Father, that each and every